Um, we're up to Perakain, Derech Hashem, by uh, the Ramchal, Rabbi Shachayim Lutzato. <coughs> and in this Perak, uh, it's very interesting, because in this Perak, he talks about the components of the Bria. What is creation made of, basically, you know? Those are the components of different types of beings. What is it made up of, and so on. Which, uh, which in many ways is fascinating to see uh, who our neighbors are, if you want to use that word. You know. <clears throat> uh, and you'll find that there's a lot of very interesting um, uh, beings, so to speak, out there, you know. And obviously they all exist because they all contribute in some way to the whole purpose of man. And that's really the essential idea. Is the whole tachlis of the Bria, the whole purpose of creation, we know, of course, is that there's a, an individual or being called a Jew, right? And his job is to do mitzvahs, which for the specific intent of purifying matter, to dematerialize the universe. It's really what it's all about. And therefore, to take the universe, which is called this universe, Olim HaGeshem, the physical world, to take it and to retransform it into a spiritual place. Uh, see, most people think that, well, if you do a certain job, especially other religions, if you do a certain job, then you're going to wind up in a certain place. You see, that's what they think, you know? Um, that if you, do, if you do the right thing, you're going to wind up in heaven, or you're going to wind up wherever, you know, but it's always another place, because this place is terrible. Right? So you got to go to another place, you see, you know. But really that's a false idea. Uh, the truth is that what, what the, the job of a Jew is not to go anywhere, it's to stay here, but to retransform this world into a spiritual world. That's the incredible thing. It's not a matter of leaving and going somewhere else. It's a matter of changing the environment or changing the matter, literally you know, of this world, you know. And the way we do it, of course, is through mitzvahs. That's the way we do it, you know. Um, so that's the, that's the purpose of creation. Uh, and that's called zikuch. Uh, zikuch means to purify or to decontaminate uh, something, which means that if, if there's a substance and that has a contaminant, so when you decontaminate it, then you've purified it. You see, uh, so that's really what the whole concept. You know, it's interesting. Um, I once asked a guy, there's a malacha called boirer in Shabbos. Boirer means literally to select, right? So the guy told me he was learning boirer, you know, he was learning that uh, particular activity which is forbidden on Shabbos. You know, you know, if you have two things in front of you, you have good and bad, right? Uh, and you want to select, right? You want to take the good and bad as relative terms. Let's use the term desired and undesired, you know? So what you do is you take the desired, whatever. But if you take the undesired out, because you want to leave the desired, and then, you know, that's called burra. Whatever, right? Uh, so I asked him, I asked him, uh, well, what exactly is the essential idea of burra? So he said, you know, I've been learning after three months, so I really have no idea. I can tell you what it is, but I can't really tell you what the, what's called the malocha, 
what the activity is. I don't know. It's astounding. You know, I met so many guys that learn Burah and they have no clue. They can tell you the halachas, but they don't really know what is it that the Torah is particular about not to be done. It's called the Akpodah Torah. What exactly is it? Because every malacha, every activity in Shabbos, right, there's some specific, which I call, forbidden key point that the Torah says no. That's the idea. You have to identify it. Anyway, he didn't know, and most people don't know, but the interesting thing about it, and that's why you see why I bring it, uh, bring it down, is because <clears throat> I said, okay, let me give you three examples. Okay? That's all you need to know. Forget about three, two, three months in the koilel. Three examples, okay? That's okay. You have in front of you, on the table, you're sitting, and there's an apple. And you take the apple, and you give it a crunch. What have you done? Besides the eating of it, right? Well, you've done, you've displaced the apple. You've repositioned the apple. Correct? That's all you've done. Well, that's not bayra. Right? That's not selecting. You just repositioned an apple. Right? That's the effect. Okay. It's okay. Now you have two apples. Yes, you got two apples. And you see one and you take one and to, to eat. Right? What have you done? Right? So, number one, you've repositioned one apple, right? But the second thing you did is you've separated this apple from that apple. Yes? Okay. That's not better, right? Then I said, I'll give you a third case. The third case is, let's say I have, um, I have uh, an apple and an orange. Okay. Two apples, two oranges, whatever, right? And I don't want the orange, right? I just want the apples. So what I do is I take an orange away from the group. So what have I done? Well, the first thing you've done is you've repositioned the orange. Yes? Second thing you've done is you've separated the orange from the apple. You separated two things, correct? But that's not better either. So what is it? Because you removed the orange, which is a contaminant to the apple. You purified the apple. There's a group of apples, right? And the orange is sitting smack in the middle of that group. You don't want the so you don't want the orange. So when you remove the orange, what are you really doing? You are purifying what's left, which is only apples. Or you've decontaminated. You see? That's Burev. So you realize that Burr is not repositioning. Burr is not selecting or separating. No. Burr is to take a, that which is a contaminant, and there's a definition for that. It's, let's say basically it's undesired, away from a group, and therefore allowing the rest of the group to be only one substance, basically. That's called decontamination. That's Burr, you see? So that activity, in, in, in a, when you think about Lashkofa, right? Right, so what, what, what is the, if you look at that, so what, what's the mixture? Therefore, Burr has to have two halachas always. There always has to be a mixture of a contaminant and a desired, or else what are you, you're not purifying. If there's something that doesn't belong there, and it isn't there, you're not, you're not uh, decontaminating. You're, you know, you're not purifying. There's got to be something you don't want there with something that you do want. That makes a burr. And not only that, the second rule is that they have to be close, proximity. 
has to be a group. If you have an apple here and an orange in the other other part of the room and I take the orange away, it was never contaminated, you see? That's why burn needs two things. It needs that which you do not desire, which is the contaminant, right? And they have to be close together or because then it's not contaminated. What have you done? See, those are the two fundamental rules of Beirah, you see. Anyway, in the Bria, there's Beirah. What is the Beirah? What does the Bria have? What does creation have? Right? What are the components in terms of the state of the universe? Well, the first thing is that the universe is Geshem, is material, you see. It's Geshem, whatever material is, right? It's a physical thing, right? So that's the first thing. So what's the contaminant? The contaminant is the Zoyamor, is the pollution of the Sultan after the sin of Odom Harishim, right? <clears throat> so that's the problem, you see. But really the Bria is what? So, so let's say, so the first act of decontaminating is you need to remove the tumor, the pollutant, the contaminant from a physical universe, which is you've got to get rid of the evil, right? That, that's that's Beirah, really, when you think that. That's a classic act of Beirah, is to remove Tumor, Zoyamor, whatever the pollution of the Sultan is, right, into the universe, physical universe, you want to remove that. So that's the first act of Beirah, you see. But now that, you, if you remove the, that, the, the, the influence of the Sultan on the physical universe, which, by the way, is the second law of thermodynamics, which is everything decomposes, or whatever, and so on. You know, if you remove that, so can you do anything else? Is, it, is the universe still contaminated? And the answer is yes. It's contaminated with physicality. You remove that, what are you left over with? A spiritual universe. Uh, see, we, we don't realize something which is very interesting. <clears throat> we don't create a physical, un- a spiritual universe. It's here but it's been contaminated with physicality. Interesting way of looking at it, you see? This is the problem. It's that the physical, that the spiritual universe has been rendered with a physical contaminant, and that's called Geshem, materialism or physicality. It has been rendered, contaminated a second time after the sin of Odomarishim. You see what I'm saying? You know, so because the Sultan has now empowered over the universe and he injects into it so to speak a thing called Zoyama which is his influence his pollutant his contamination you see so all of this is on top of a spiritual universe therefore we need to remove what the first thing to remove the Zoyama to remove that contamination of the Sultan right that's out and that's an act of pure Beira isn't it and that's why it's also on Shabbos because it's one of the creative acts and the second act of Beirah is to remove the physicality itself. Which, you know, look at Beirah and say, what? What do you mean remove the physicality? That's what the universe is. It's not. We don't realize that this universe is spiritual. You know, and what, what has been embedded in this universe is physical substances. The that material the universe. Yes, that was the original uh, contamination. Adam Rishon Sin added the second contamination, you see. So the job of the Jew is called Zikuch. Zikuch means to purify, you see. So the job of the Jew is to purify this universe, right, 
which means to remove the physicality of the universe, leaving a spiritual universe. That's really what the whole job of the Jew is, you see. But it happens in levels, gradations, you see. <clears throat> because even spirituality is contaminated, which is interesting, you see. <clears throat> we don't realize it, but even a spiritual universe has blockage. For instance, if you remove the physicality of this world, this world is called Olam HaGeshem, yes? Olam HaGeshem is the world of materialism or material physicality, right? <clears throat> Well, you certainly can't see the spiritual because it's being blocked by the spiritual. Okay, let's remove it. So first we get rid of the Zoyama, right? Okay, that's Mashiach ben Yosef. Along comes Mashiach ben David, right? And he's got to get rid of the Geshem. So he does that. So now we're standing at the end of the world, the 6,000 years. The world is over in the English year 2240, right? And the world is over. That means the world is over in 222 more years. Even the Mashiach's reign has to end. So what's what's so Mashiach ben David? He removes what <coughs> the uh, what do you call it, the physicality. So now at the end of the year six thousand, which is twenty two forty, right? We are now in a world which is spiritual. That's called the seven thousandth year. It's called the Elifashvi. But does that Elifashvi exist now? Yes. That's called the Olim That is called the world of formation, right? And, and right now there is so this world now becomes Olam Yitzirah or is added on to that you see and that takes a thousand years right <clears throat> then what happens is the Olam Yitzirah is now filtered you see purified right it, its blockage is removed because it also has a block because even denizens residents of that world Malachim they also have a limited view because there's some type of a blockage there, you see. So the, the next, from, seven, from six to seven is, this world becomes Yetzirah. From seven to eight thousand years, right, then Yetzirah becomes Bria, which is a higher dimension, you see. And then from eight to nine, right, again, the, spirit, the, the, the spiritual world is further refined, and it becomes Atzilus, which is, the greatest spiritual world of Olam Hazer, which means this world, you see. So by the time you're in the 8,000th year, what happens? You have moved up. Look how many, look how many filterings you've done, you see. You've done Zoyama, you've done Geshem, physicality. Then you moved into Yetzira, into, Bri into Bria, and into Atsilis. And Atsilis is beyond, we cannot master any of these worlds. And then from the 9,000th year, Right, then Bria, which is a higher spiritual dimension, itself again is filtered, and that becomes what's called Adam Kadmon, which is Adam Habo. That's the highest spiritual world, and there is no more blockages in that world. See, that's what the job of the Jew to again retransform, retransform, retransform. It's a constant filtering process. That's the job of the Jew. You see. So therefore, in order to aid all of this stuff, right, uh, the Rosham had to create many, many different components to allow the Jew to do this filtering process, you see. And of course, what happens as the Jew himself, uh, as the world become filtered and filtered and filtered, it, it doesn't only apply to the world itself, right, but applies to the Jew, his own body becomes filtered, you see. Uh, so right now we're physical beings, right? 
and then we turn into spiritual beings, higher spiritual beings, higher spiritual beings. You see, until you get to Olam Haba, where we, we, we have no concept of what we will be uh, in, in that world, you see. And then we are the spiritual beings of the greatest amount of spirituality, you see. And then, uh, and then it just continues in that way. So, that's the task of a Jew in a nutshell. Uh, and therefore, all the components that the Moshe made was obviously to allow this process to happen. <clears throat> uh, so the Ramchal is now going to uh, tell you the components of the world. Okay, so he says that the basic divisions, how many different types of beings are there, really, you know? And each one <clears throat> has its nature, the laws that govern that being, the limits, what are the properties, the limits, the laws, you know, just like this universe. There's laws that govern this universe. There's gravity. <clears throat> you know, all kinds of <clears throat> the properties of matter. <clears throat> so there are really three kinds of universe, three kinds of uh, dimensions, so to speak. One is physical, right? Obviously. And the second one is called spiritual, spiritual domain. But there's a third domain, and that's called God. That's the domain of the divine. God is not physical and he's not spiritual. Because even spirituality, it's just a different type of matter. It's a spiritual matter instead of a physical matter, you see. But the Rabbanishim is not matter, you see. So the Rabbanishim is neither obviously physical, clearly not. And he's, he's not Ruchnius. What he is is unknown. That goes back to the first paragraph of the Ramchal in terms of who is God. But never make the mistake of thinking that the Rabbanishim is spiritual. He's not. Not at all. <clears throat> Actually, that itself can be subdivided. You see. Um, because um, what is, I'll just briefly mention, what is not physical or spiritual is really the Ein Soif. The Ein Soif, which is the Shekhinah, at the highest level of Shekhinah, it's the greatest presence of God, is the Ein Soif. God, in that appearance, is not at all physical or spiritual, clearly not, you see. So even that, the Shekhinah, is not spiritual at all. But that's, but the, but the Rebbeim beyond the Shekhinah, because there's a God in terms of His appearance, which means that he can be known to man, even though we have no concept of what the Ainsoif is, the infinite being called God. But then there's the Rabbanishim called Atzmusoy, who he really is, which is unknown. That, that's, not, that's not even, you can't even use it, it's not even, it's not spiritual, it's nothing as far as we're concerned. It's beyond the concept even of some type of a, a matter or anything like that. But anyway, uh, so Ramchal says that this world consists of Gashmim and Ruchnim. It consists of physical beings and spiritual beings. Okay. Uh, that's the basic division of the whole Bria, basically. And then he says, what's the definition of a Geshem? How do we define Gashmim? Okay. So he says that 
those beings which are perceptible to us at any level, that's called a being that is Geshem. <clears throat> a being that is imperceptible or non-perceptible at all is Rukhni. That's very subtle, you see. Because when you look at this world, think about that. It's a very subtle distinction. <clears throat> you know, if I asked you, right? In this world, we can't see everything, okay? So are they physical? For instance, if you turn on your radio, it plays. Well, how'd that happen? It's called a radio wave. Is a radio wave physical? Interesting question. And the answer is yes, it is. Because you can turn on the radio and hear the, you know, in other words, you can receive the effects of a radio wave. Therefore, a radio wave is physical. However, a radio wave <clears throat> clearly is not physical the way that we imagine, you see. It's electromagnetic radiation. It's energy. Is energy physical? <coughs> of course it is. What is it? Nobody knows. You know, uh, the world is divided into matter and energy. Uh, matter we know, right? Because clearly it's perceptible. But the world is divided into matter and energy. You see, nobody knows what energy is. I always got a kick out of the old definition of energy, the capacity to do work. That's not a definition. That's a consequence. If you have energy, you can go do something, you know? But what is energy itself? Nobody knows. Uh, the major idea of energy is that it can push. It's a force, a force that can push. That's all we know about what it is. But what is energy unknown? Uh, in other words, the way energy always manifests itself is only always by motion. In other words, well, how is something in motion? Because it has energy that's pushing it. You see? That's how we know energy, you know? If everything in the universe was motionless, it would be interesting. Would there be energy? Interesting concept, you know? If nothing moved, means absolute stationary, which, by the way, there's no such thing, uh, you know? Uh, everything moves, everything, you know? It may move very slow, you know? What is the measure of something moving? What is it? And the answer is heat. Heat. What is heat? Heat is nothing more than the random motion of molecules. Molecules moving. So if they move too quick and they bounce, bounce against your hand, it, it's called heat. Burns you. You see? When you freeze matter, molecules, which is the smallest unit of matter, before it becomes an atom, right? When you freeze it, it moves very slowly. You see? And, uh, but but, but the, the motion of molecules is measured in terms of heat. You know, so the faster it moves, the greater the heat. You know, the slower it moves, then it's called cold. Absolute zero. Absolute zero is when the molecule stops all motion. And it's impossible to reach that stage. They've already reached the stage of molecular freezing. I think they were like a millionth degree off absolute zero, which is incredible, you know. Uh, but if something was stationless, or you know, m m uh, motionless, it would have it would have no energy. 
Interesting. In other words, everything in the universe is moving. Everything. Every molecule is moving. Everything is moving, you know? So the question is, like I said, you know, uh, if there was no motion, would there be energy? And the answer is yes, you know? And the reason for that is because, according to Einstein, he realized that matter is nothing more than frozen energy. Means if you take energy and freeze it, it becomes a particle. Amazing. You know, that's the great, uh, one of the greatest discoveries of all, you know, that matter and energy are equivalent. But what I'm trying to show is that even energy is physical, right? We can't see energy, we don't even know what it is. You see, a radio wave is physical. You see, light, is light physical? Of course it's physical. You, nobody has ever seen light. Light enables us to see everything else. But nobody has seen a light wave called a photon and so on you know so <clears throat> the physical universe itself has many things that are that 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 uh, what do you call it that cannot be known directly but we can experience them that's the key to perception perception doesn't mean to see them it means we can experience them and therefore they are detectable that's what the the very interesting uh, thing to understand you know so the physical universe encompasses far more than just the physical things, you see. <clears throat> and so it's it's possible to detect spirituality? No, impossible. Let's say a Unless the moth will come and move my oh, cup, and I see the cup moving. Yeah. So does that make the moth physical in a sense? No. Why, why is because that he, his ability to interact with that cup, right, is through spiritual means. But I see the effect, though. I see the effect of it. I yeah. can perceive it. You can perceive the consequence, but you do not perceive the spiritual being that is causing that. For instance, you know, there are people who saw Malachim, Avram Avinu, remember those three guys showed up? Or the one who came to uh, Shimshin's father, Menoyach, remember that? You know, he saw him. How does that work? And the answer is what the Malach does is he creates a physical costume. It's physical, you see, but he's not the costume. It's literally like somebody puts on a costume. But he's not that. So Amalek is able to create a costume that he can put on or, 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 or is like, you know, like a suit, you know, and you could see the Malach through the suit. But you never could, but if the Malach took off the suit, you could never see the Malach. See, that's, and that's what Ramchal's definition is. You cannot see or experience in any way a spiritual entity unless he decides to use the physical world to costume himself. You see? That, and that's very important. Yeah, go ahead. When I sleep... When you I sleep... When I'm sleeping, I don't remember a thing. But when I wake up, I thank God for returning my soul. Okay. So I don't know where my soul went. But when I'm sleeping, am I in a physical world or am I going to a spiritual world? You are in a physical world. But your neshama, you see, well, we'll get to that. Because you will, that's the combo, uh, combination. Well, you hold on off of that. Uh, first, I have to, what, what Ramchal is classifying the entities. So right now, he simply says that anything physical can be experienced in some manner. If it's really spiritual, forget about it. Unless a spiritual being wishes to, in some, some way, to uh, uh, garb himself in some physical way but it's never that he just can control the matter that's all you see 
so therefore um, that's a physical and that's a spiritual entity okay and these things themselves are, are subdivided okay what is a subdivision of the physical well I've given you one right and it's, so within the matter of the universe you have matter you have uh, energy right that's the physical universe itself okay but the Ramchal says also that there are physical things called the Galgalim and the Kachovim. Now, this is astrology, you know. Astrology is a study. Astrology recognizes, you know, that the stars, planets, and their orbits actually have influence on us. You know, I mean, this, of course, is rejected by science. Astrology is rejected. They have astronomy. Astronomy is the study of the heavenly bodies and so on, you know. But nobody ever assumes that any of these heavenly bodies, stars, sun, planets, meteors, comets, have any kind of influence on us other than maybe gravity if they get too close. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, but that they should have an influence on our lives, character-wise or whatever, Forget it. You know, there's no such thing, you know. But in terms of the Chazal, and you see that from Mitzrayim and so on, there is such a thing called astrology. You know, uh, and um, um, what astrology says is that the heavenly bodies, no matter what they are, do have an influence on our lives. You know, that's, that's what astrology is. So therefore, he says that the physical universe consists of the people, the, uh, you know, uh, us, and all the heavenly bodies, which have influence over us. The heavenly bodies are clearly physical, you see. Now, later on, he, he tries to explain that. What do you mean? You mean there was some, some star, you know, uh, you know uh, three billion light years away? How in the world, what does it even mean that they have some type of... Uh, um, um, uh, influence over us. What does that mean? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is like, it, it seems like such a um, um, primitive understandings and so on, you see. But what he probably means, and I think he explains it later on, is that it's not that they can do anything, but they, the configuration of stars and all the heavenly bodies, right? they act in ways which reflect the configuration of the spheres. They're indicators. It's really what they are. And somehow the, the influence of these the spheres, which we will learn is the spiritual uh, entities and so on, that uh, the, the stars, it's, a, it's like a, a thermometer, you know? A thermometer is an instrument. It's an indicator of your temperature. You know what I'm saying? But the thermometer doesn't create the temperature. Just measures it, you see. The stars and other, all the heavenly bodies, they don't create the shefa, the influence on us. What they do is they allow the influence on us because of the spiritual entities, which we will learn about in this pair, and so on. So they reflect exactly the gezeris, or the, the, the what do you call it, the, the influences, what's called the hashpos, of, of the spiritual entities called spheres. So therefore, what's interesting about that is if you want to know what that tells you, so they, these are what's called the intermediaries 
the mediaries, the intermediaries, mediators, or the intermediaries of, or barometers or indicators of the spheres, which is interesting. That means if you know the real astrology, not today, you know, uh, the real astrology, and, uh, and you, let's say you, you know and so on, you can actually figure out at any given point there's certain spheres that influence in this way, in that way, and so on. It's a whole chokhmah. You can actually read that by the uh, astrological signs. Interesting. That's what it means, you see? So that, that can be understood. It's not that that Sirius, which is the brightest star in the sky, can actually have influence over you. But when you're born, that's really when it really kicks off. Uh, if you're born at a certain time, and let's say, and let's say um, Mars is Shilet, which means that the, the planet Mars is uh, in whatever, however, it's a whole, Mars is in the house, this house and that house. It's like, I can't say, you know, and so on, you know. Um, what that indicates is that the forces of the spheres, uh, uh, when you're born, you can actually see what spheres were, were influenced at that moment in time, and therefore what they gave you, what they left you with. So the planets are intermediaries of the spheres. That's what it means, you see? Not that they have any kind of... Now, why do Muslim need stars and all that? Or what does that mean? Apparently, that's the whole concept of why you need uh, uh, astronomical bodies. Is that they should be able to reflect the true meaning of the spheres. And those spheres, spiritual entities called spheres, which are the emanations of God, they are the ones who truly cause everything. So that's how you can understand astrology. You know. So next time, so when you join Astrology 101, you'll know exactly what they aim, what, what the, understand, the underlying idea is, you know, like what in the world is this, you know. And this is what Chazal, um, this is the, whatever the true um, nature in, in, of, of Astrology really is. But anyway, Blood moons. Who? Blood moons. Blood moon. Yeah, the red moon. Remember? Yeah, I spoke about the blood moon. Yeah, for the the uh, tetrad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It indicates a gzera, The fact that there were four blood moons consecutively on Foyum Tovim, if you remember that, and that it means uh, that uh, a messianic uh, time would start. I give a whole on that. Um, yeah, that's what it would indicate. It was the moon when it turns red so many times, you know, it would indicate that uh, there's something happening in the spiritual domain. It's an indicator, that's all, it's like a thermometer. You know, but not that they have the power to do that, you see. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so the physical universe consists of these two things. The planet Earth and all its residents, and it, the heavenly bodies and what it can do. That's the physical universe. Okay. Yeah. Now, the spiritual universe, he says, these are beings that have absolutely no materiality to them. Nothing. Okay? And therefore, because of that, they cannot in any way be detectable. Either experienced or detectable. At all. Okay? And that's what distinguishes them from the physical. <clears throat> I would like to add one very interesting concept, you know. People make a tremendous mistake on what spirituality is. I'll give you an example. For instance, in India, so you have a whole discipline called yoga. 
Okay, and what the yogi is trying to do is by meditation, they try to reach certain states, states of consciousness. That's what they try to do. Interesting discipline, so on, you know. And what they do is they develop the ability to meditate. Okay? And fundamentally, without getting into the whole thing, you know, uh, what they can do is that they have the ability to focus on a single object to such an extent where all thoughts, feelings, sensations are gone. They, it's like a laser beam. They can focus their concentration to such an extent where they don't experience anything other than that object. And then eventually what happens is the object itself merges with them. Not literally, but all of a sudden their consciousness somehow uh, um, transcends all types of physical experiences or mental experiences and what they experience is a tremendous ecstasy yeah it's an ecstasy okay and they call it samadhi whatever you know the question is what is that so they taina they say that that's spiritual right it's pretty good because they're experienced this this super conscious state called uh, uh, samadhi, and they experience what's called nirvana, ilm habo, whatever they want to call it, right? To them, that's ruchnius. Because what they, their understanding of ruchnius, and I want to show you why it's a mistake, their understanding of spirituality is not physical. In other words, if all of a sudden, I'm not experiencing anything. I don't hear anything, I don't see anything. I have no sensations at all. Right? I have no thoughts, I have no feelings. In other words, I become a pure conscious being that in no way experiences anything through my senses, thoughts, or feelings, and so on. You see? And what happens is, as all of a sudden, uh, it's almost like they become the consciousness. It takes a long time to practice that. But when they do that, all of a sudden they have become removed from the physical body. Not literally, but they have sort of like pushed the physical body out, even though they're still in the physical body, and they experience an incredible ecstasy. Okay? Is that spiritual? No. The mistake that they make is that just because you're not physical doesn't mean you're spiritual. You see? Because there's a middle world called mental. Man is capable of a mental dimension. You see? It's a mental world. So what they have done is they have gone into the mental world, you see. Not, and that doesn't make it spiritual. Spirituality is to be in contact, so to speak, or, right, with a spiritual aspect of self. It's not to avoid the, mental, the physical, you see, because then merely you've become mental. You're in the mental dimensions, you see. But ruchnius is where you experience something from the f spiritual world. Even though he said that it, you, ca you cannot detect a spirituality, but in a certain sense, you can. The neshama. Oh, the neshama. Why? Because you are the neshama, you see. So in a certain sense, the only spiritual entity that you can detect, not detect but experience, is your only neshama. That's ruchnius. You see, and they've made the mistake. The uh, in India, 
yogi and uh, I don't know about Hinduism, but you know, you know, well, they they have excelled in in, in enormously heightening and focusing and con- concentrating the ability to concentrate. That's true, and when you concentrate to that extent you can actually experience an incredible ecstasy because you've disconnected, so to speak, from the body. But that's not ruchnius, you see. Ruchnius is to feel or experience some aspect of your own nishama. And that you can do. That's the mitzvah and ruch ha-kodesh. Well, that's not even ruch ha-kodesh, but that's nevuah. Nevuah is a spiritual experience, you see, because you can actually experience something as a result of your neshama, actually you go through your neshama to experience, uh, and so on. So I want to point that out, that these guys are not spiritual e- individuals, you know. It, 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 the, the concept of spirituality has been so diluted and so, so deformed, you know. Like a guy goes to a concert, <laughs> you hear this, you know. He goes to a rock concert, right? And he hears these guys and jumping all around, up, oh, you know, that, that's what... They're jumping all around the place, you know. So you ask this guy, well, how was it? Oh, was it spiritual? You know, excuse me. You know, what it was. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't use that, those kind of shyness. You know, oh, what a spiritual experience, you know. You know, oh, they'll go, uh, you know, um, they'll have uh, go to an incredible restaurant and they'll eat. <laughs> you know, Gavaldi, you know, prime ribs, whatever, right? Right? Oh, was that spiritual? You know, it, it just, it's... The word spiritual has been so beaten to death by so many different experiences, you know. Uh, so you'd never get fooled by these guys, you know, as spiritual, you know. He wouldn't know what spirituality is if he tripped over it, you know. Uh, but, but clearly the other stuff, you know, the yogis are much closer to spirituality, although it's not spiritual, because at least they've, in, in a certain way, they've removed the physicality by the focus on something else. So it's almost like they're so focused in on something that they and the object merge as one. So they actually experience their being devoid of anything physical. It, it's, you have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. But anyway... Well, it's certainly an escape, you know, but they don't do it for escape. They do it because they want to achieve that state, that state of samadhi or nirvana. That to them is ruchnius. Maybe experiencing No, it's not that either. No, it's not. No, because the only way, the only way to experience ruchnius is by doing something spiritual. Mitzvahs or being a novi, doing what a novi has to do. You know, you cannot experience a spiritual anything, even from the neshama, just because you concentrate on a candle. It doesn't work that way, you see. But, like I said, but... What? Yeah, it's a... It take three hours to dive, one to get up, one to dive, one yeah. down. Yeah. That was spiritual? No, with the Hasidim Rishonim, they used to meditate on God to prepare themselves. You don't mean them. You mean, let's say, Pardes, Rabbi Akiva. It took him an hour to, 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 to cease, where they, to come back from where yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where were they? No, that the was... Spiritual what, what they No, what they did is they were so heightened in terms of who they're about to face that it was literally as if it was there. In other words, what they did is they, they emphasized the reality of tefillah, 
of standing in front of God that it wasn't something we, you know, a guy Dobbins he has to imagine that there's God in front of him he's got to imagine that you know what I'm saying God's not in front of him but he's got to imagine that you know that's assuming he's not traveling around the world with his thoughts right you know he's thinking about this that and so on you know uh, but, uh, but what they did is that they focused they concentrated so much on the Rabbanu Shalom and that they're standing in front of him that em- not only intellectually it became as if that became a reality but emotionally they felt as if they're standing in front of the Rabbanu Shalom you see but that's still physical you know what I'm saying um, uh, so that, that's what they did you know um, but the Bosham did allow for Ruchni's to experience, and that's Nevoah, or Ruch the real Ruch HaKodesh, or the real prophets, Nevoah. Nevoah is a spiritual state that the Bosham allowed a person to be in, and so on, uh, which is very interesting. But even then, you have to understand how it works. Um, Because even a Novi, a Novi had to go through a certain process. Let's take the highest spiritual state of all, which is a Novi, okay? What a Novi did is he would go to school and learn how to become a Novi. He had to go to college, so to speak, you know? It was a, called a prophetic college, prophecy college, you know? Uh, uh, you know, university of, of prophecy, you know? And there were many in the olden days. Uh, anybody could do that, you know? So there's a whole plan, program, you know what I'm saying? You had to develop your midas, you had to do the mitzvahs, and you had to rely, rise level of Kedushim. But eventually you were taught on meditation techniques and to meditate on divine names. And what would happen, which we'll get into later, is that would elevate you and it would put you into a trance state where you were not sleeping, you were fully awake, except what happened is your whole body became a trance. You see, so for all practical purposes, it looked like you were sleeping, you see. But the guy was fully awake inside, you see. Then what happened? Then all of a sudden, his imagination, because everybody has an imagination, where you can picture anything, it became a movie. Of, it was a real, uh, you know, a real, um, uh, in real time. All of a sudden, the Oilem Yitzira, the upper world would become open to his consciousness and he would actually be able to speak to beings of Malachim in that world. But when he spoke to them, he didn't see them as Ruchnis. He didn't see them as spiritual beings. They themselves had to clothe themselves in, some, in the imagination itself. In other words, it was the imagination that could clothe them, but the, you see, and therefore he could speak to them. When, for instance, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Rabbi Shmuel Atzmoy, on Yom Kippur, so there was a decree that they had to all die. Remember the Asura River Malchus? They all had to die by uh, uh, Hadrian, uh, Adrianus. So they sent up Rabbi Yishmuel, famous passage in Yom Kippur davening. They sent him up, right? So he didn't leave. What he did is he shut his eyes, he meditated on divine names. And all of a sudden, he went into this trance state, <clears throat> right? And he was, <clears throat> his imagination, <clears throat> he saw Malachim. In fact, he spoke to one of them. He was a man dressed in white behind a curtain. 
And the, that malach was a malach said, it's over with. That's exera. So like, huh? No. So what happened was, he saw this being into, in, in that world, Yitzira, but only through the, through the, uh, the um, mediation of his imagination. That clothed the being, so to speak. You see? But it was in real time. He was really speaking to a malach. You see? Which is incredible. So, the, <clears throat> wait, so therefore, that type of Ruach is where you can actually speak to a real being, but it still has to go through the filter process called the imagination. You see? But it was real-time Ruchni. That's, that, that's the most you can achieve. You see? Where you can actually engage with Ruchni's spiritual entities, but it still can only be through your imagination. You see, and that the Rambam did allow. That's Ruach Kodesh, that the real Ruach Kodesh, not the today's Ruach Kodesh is different, but the real Ruach Kodesh and that Ritira Bishmoam, that was Ruach Kodesh, because he spoke to somebody in Yetzira. The real Nevuah, which is much higher than Ruach Kodesh, you could see God through the imagination, right, in terms of whatever He would want to communicate to you. But it was the same thing; it had to go through the imagination. The Koyach Adimyan. The imagination of the person garbed the Shechina, and the Shechina would talk to him, like that's the Nevuah of Yishayo, Yimyo, that's all the Nevi'im. How did it work? They were not awake, they were in a trance, you see. And the Rabbanisham spoke to them directly through the imagination. That's Nevuah. It's a spiritual experience, you see. But you can't see the Shechina or anybody, really. It's undetectable. But through the imagination, you can. You see? And, and that, that's what they did. These other guys, like I say, in India, and all these guys, these guys don't speak to anybody. You see? But they do achieve uh, a, a state whereby they can stop or put, in, uh, put into abeyance, so to speak, the physical body. Yeah. That's why some of these guys can be buried for, uh, I think, a week. He lowers his heart rate. They have tremendous control over the body because we don't realize the focus of consciousness. We do not realize our power of thinking. If you ever learned how to concentrate, you see, it would be like a laser beam. It could do incredible things. And some of these guys have done that and they've experienced ecstatic states. But that is not Ruchni, you see, because all it is is where the individual has in some way suspended his body and no longer subject to the nervousness and all the ticks and the pain of the body. He doesn't even feel that anymore, you see? So he's not, so it's like the people have what's called out-of-body experiences, astral projections, you know? It's still physical. So then how in the world, I, I remember I once spoke to, um, and it's a, a real thing, you know? Uh, um, uh, a relative of mine, and it was a woman, and she said that uh, she sat in a chair, and the next minute she was looking down at her body. She was like floating above it. It's an astral, which, which is a phenomenon people have done, you know. So the question is, where, what in the world is looking at who? You know, so obviously consciousness is able to exit the body, but it's still consciousness. It's an interesting phenomenon, see. It was, so in a certain sense, they've exited the body, and they can look down at the body. And they say they could travel. That's a very interesting uh, field in itself, can astral. Can get stuck? What? Can they get stuck in that state? I, I, I don't think so. 
I don't think he gets stuck in that state, you know. So why did Nebula stop? Did it have something to do with the physicality? No, because Shechina, Shechina left. Closed, shut down the door. That's the Golas. Once when the Beis was destroyed, that meant that you could not access the Shechina, so you cannot even access it, access it through imagination. It was unavailable. It was a curtain, closed. So, you know, uh, so what is... So the, the Rebunisham, that's the Golas. The Rebunisham left. So you cannot access the Rebunisham even through the imagination anymore. That ended and so on, you know. But anyway, so uh, this, the concept of ecstasy uh, through meditation is not spiritual, it's physical. Spiritual is when you actually can contact, you know, in whatever way, a ruchnistic being through the imagination, but a ruchnistic being. And then that's also ecstasy, but it's a whole different understanding of what spirituality is. So remember, a mental experience or a non-physical experience is not ruchnius. You see, it's merely another a higher dimension of the physical world, like radio waves, energy, and so on. Obviously, a person can be outside his body, but that doesn't make him spiritual, you see. And then you have the whole phenomenon of what's called NDEs, near-death experiences. That's, that's a whole interesting thing in itself where people, they're, they're dead, or at least, you know, and then they see a tunnel, they see a light, it's a whole thing, what that, what, what that is, and so, you know. But uh, that also is not spiritual. You see, that's only, it's a non-physical state. It can be terminated. In other words, if they go through that tunnel, whatever, then <coughs> that's death, which means they become not only non-physical, then they, they, they become, they come in contact with the neshama, and then they're in a different universe altogether and so on. But anyway, so I want to just tell you that this concept of uh, Gashmias is a huge area. It just doesn't mean, well, there's spiritual entities and physical. No. The physical universe itself has a whole bunch of states, physical, mental, and so on. I'm trying to give you examples of that. You know, the whole concept of energy and matter and so on, you know. But uh, basically, um, th those are the two fundamental components of the Bria, you see. So that's what the Ramchal does in terms of the, the physical and, and the spirits and so on. And remember, you can have a spiritual experience, but you cannot detect or experience the f spiritual being directly. You can't do that unless he chooses to, go, to clothe himself in physical reality or you can see it through your imagination. But you can never, like, you know, a physical, one guy talking to the other guy, you can see exactly who that guy is and so on, you know. You cannot do that to a true spiritual entity. Very important. Even though you can have spiritual experiences, which seems to be a contradiction, but as I explained, is not, you know. So if you know some guy comes running over to you and says, hey, I just had an spiritual experience, right? So then you know he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know. You know, and uh, you know, so and he says, I really spoke to God. Well, that's a whole different story. <laughs> padded cell time. His what? It's a padded cell time. Yes, yeah, padded cell, that's right, you know. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, Rahman, some people. You know, I, I remember there was once, they say, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a joke where some guy, uh, he went into an insane asylum, you know, and one guy was saying, uh, one guy was screaming, you know, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, you know. 
So he was being escorted by a psychiatrist. He says, what's with this guy? Well, he thinks he's the Mashiach, Messiah, you know? So then he saw at the other, uh, the, uh, a couple of doors down, so there was some guy looking out with bars, whatever. He's also in one of the, yeah. He was laughing. So he went over to the guy and said, what are you laughing at? He said, because that guy's crazy. He thinks he's the Messiah. He thinks he's the Mashiach. So, so, the, uh, so this guy said, well, how do you know? How do you know that he's crazy, you know? So the guy says, well, how could he be Mashiach? I'm God. I didn't make a Mashiach. What's the problem here? You know what I mean? <laughs> Each person has his own Mishagas. <coughs> Anyway, what? When it said Moshe saw God face to face, upon him, upon him. Was that to imagination? Yes, it can only be. But Moshe was a whole different, a whole different level of the war. Moshe Rabbeinu could have prophecy, right? Awake, awake. I mean, he, he didn't have to be in a trance. You see, you know. And, and Moshe Rabbeinu can experience the Rabbanishlam, but again, but even that had to go through his senses. You know, he, he, you know it always has to, any, especially God, the Rabbanishlam, you know, the Rabbanishlam has to appear to Moshe. Remember, Moshe was a Novi. You know, you cannot experience a Malach, let alone God. That's impossible, you know. But if the Rabbanishlam appears to you, right, then you can experience the Bansham, which is obviously what a Navi does, but it has to be through the intermediary of a physical world. You know what I'm saying? So even if Moshe experienced the Bansham, he experienced it, he heard the Bansham, even though there's no source of the sound waves. You know what I'm saying? The Bansham can create a sound wave with no source. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden you hear a sound wave, you see? Or if you want to, does he see God? Even if he does, it's, it's like a person all of a sudden having a vision. But the vision is really what? The vision is really your imagination. You know what I'm saying? Well, you have a vision, you know, forget about a dream, but if you have a vision, right? Well, what is that vision? It's somehow your imagination picturing something, you see? Whatever that is. So that Moshe Rabbeinu could have. He could have a vision, again, using his uh, the faculty of the mind that's called the imagination so however the Bansham appeared to him you see but he would see something you know uh, and so on he would be awake uh, and it would be but that vision was without any filters that vision means Moshe Rabbeinu saw God in a vision as God would appear in Oilem at, at the uh, with, uh, with the least amount of filters. Because uh, everybody saw the Rabbanisham, but through different filters or lenses, you know, it, it would be as clear. What? It became distorted. Yeah, every Novi would see the divine images, but a distortion of that image. Because it depends how many lenses, how far away they were from the source of Nevoah, or the reality of Nevoah, the dimension, and that was in the world of Hatzilus. Because that's where God is, in, in a sense of his uh, relationship to Oilem Hazer. The Shekhinah is in Oilem Hatzilus, you see. But Moshe Rabbeinu also could speak to God and see God as in Oilem Hatzilus in terms of the vision, but there was no filters. There was like he was right up against that world. So there was only one uh, there was a filter or lens which is the actual boundary itself there were no other uh, uh, lenses that blocked that vision he had, the, he had the clearest vision 
that any man ever had of God. No person ever saw through, through the physical universe whatever that type of image or vision that Moshe Rabbeinu saw. And therefore, the vision of God was untold clarity, which is incredible clarity. No distortions, you know, nothing vague. It was clear, you know, uh, and, and so on. And that was the, the greatest form of nevuah ever known. You know. But even he had to experience Mashem through some type of a physical reality. There's no other way to do it. You can't even experience a malach without that physical reality, let alone the Rabbanu which is obviously what he spoke to, and so on. You know. But that's ponim al ponim. The clearest vision ever known to a man to experience a Bansham with the greatest clarity of vision. Uh, but again, only through the imagination or through the senses. Okay, so anyway, so that's the physical universe that the Ramchal describes. And there's a, as I just pointed out, there's a lot of stuff in the, what, what people think is spiritual, what is not spiritual, what is really physical. There's a whole mental universe you see, uh, and, and that's why it's very important to, to make these distinctions in the Oilam HaGeshem, in the physical world itself, you see. Uh, so that, that, that's very important. Uh, then the next thing Ramchal is going to talk about, of course, is the spiritual entities. Who are they? How many are they? What are they? And so on. But for that, we'll continue next week, you know. So I just wanted to really go through the whole physical. Hope you guys have a handle on that. You know, so uh, just remember, don't get carried away if you experience something spir spiritual. It's not the real thing, although it could be in real time, but then you're not a Navi, so it can't be in real time. What's the near-death experience? Hmm? Near-death experience. NDEs? Yeah. What about them? You mentioned before that they're Well, I, I believe what they are. They seem to be real. There's a lot of people that seem to have them. It's hard to say here, they're all frauds. Um, what apparently th that, that seems to be is that, that in certain circumstances, surgery, you know, or a, a complete exhaustion, or literally uh, with the heart stops, whatever, that the consciousness, apparently the consciousness of a person, whatever that is, you know, uh, can actually leave the body, can actually leave the body, and can look down and hear everything. In other words, that's, in other words, we all have a mental body. And what happens is, is that can be separated from the physical. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like a mental body that coincides with the physical. But what it seems to be <clears throat> is a certain consciousness where you can actually, whoever you are, the I can actually be conscious of something outside of his body. You don't need the body to be conscious of something is interesting so these NDE guys apparently uh, you know the, the body's almost dead whatever right and all of a sudden at that state the connection between the body and the mental body with the consciousness of that mental body actually separates so is the person dead theoretically not because he's dead when he's dead in the sense that he goes he, uh, he, the body dies so he can no longer enter the body. You see, at that point in time, it would be interesting to, uh, if the body is dead, then he would, then that would probably be spiritual. Probably. But these guys are still alive. They come back and tell you about it. 
right? I don't know what they tell you about. They're dead. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> so therefore, as long as their body is alive, they can, however, separate from that body. So they can be conscious of their body and they hear conversations. I mean, there's some incredible stories. You know, there's some incredible stories. I'll tell you one story I once read which boggles the mind. And it's, I, I, I don't explain it. <coughs> it was a story I read years ago. <coughs> it was a story of Reader's Digest. It's got to be 30, 40 years ago. Where, where somebody was in Switzerland, I think one of the mountain passes or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden he stopped because it was a, a long, there was, must have been a traffic accident somewhere, and the whole place was backed up, <clears throat> you know, and um, so that person said, look, I don't know, but it's, it looks, sounds pretty bad, probably a crash somewhere further up, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for whoever is in that car, you know, I'm going to pray for that person. You know, so this person uh, started praying, whoever that person is, you know, that he should get well, God should be merciful, whatever the feeling was, you know. And uh, eventually, of course, they cleared the accident, and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, they, they never, you know, everybody proceeded. A couple of weeks later, guy gets a phone call. Who's the phone call? He gets a phone call from the guy that was in the accident. Uh, he, he was like a, had to be like a mile away. I was not, it, 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 I get a phone call from the guy who was in the accident. It's astounding. He says, I want to tell you, I want to thank you for praying for me. So the guy says, praying for you? How do you know what I was doing? I mean, you were mild, you, 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 you were actually probably, you were probably either dead or dying, whatever, you know? How could you possibly know who I am and that I was on that line, you know, and that I was praying for you? So I'll tell you. <clears throat> I was out of my body, you know, and everybody was cursing me. It's guys, rotten, ga <laughs> imagine, because uh, you know what guys, you know, they honk, <laughs> hey, what's happening here, right? And everybody was cursing me, you know, but I, I could, and I could hear all the curses, but all of a sudden, I, you know, all of a sudden, I heard you praying for me out of all these clawless <laughs> of all these guys I heard you praying for me you see so the guy says okay I mean it's incredible you know he says fine but, but you know how do you know who I was and how to locate me he said what happened was is I went down the line I traveled my consciousness traveled and I took a look at your license plate you know and then, you know, fortunately, they re whatever, they revived him, they brought him to the hospital. I mean, a cop took a, whatever, you know, he got better. And I had your license plate. I mean, it's incredible. And I looked you up, you know, it's not, once you have the license, you know. You know, so I, I want to I thank you for what you did. I mean, this story is like, excuse me. <laughs> you know, but that, that's a classic near-death experience, which is, there's no way to explain that. And there may be many stories like this. There are other kinds of stories, but where, where people, you know, could not have known, you know, what was going on and so on and so forth. But this story was like, you know, the guy's out of his body and then he travels to see the guy's license plate. But, <laughs> but, but the interesting, he could hear all the cursing, you know, it's like, now I find that very interesting, you know. He can hear Michelle, you know, it's like, what do you mean? I got a, I got a chasna, I got a, you know, guys when they're, when, when they're, when there's a traffic jam, you know, what guys do, they go crazy, you know. But uh, that he could hear and he could visit and see, I mean, that was just beyond belief, you know. So there is, but in order to, uh, what an NDE experience simply means that 
Well, you, a person can leave his body. Yes, that there is some type of an entity, a being beyond that that's not that, and that being can have consciousness not in his body, which is astounding. Or else how can any of these people, you know, have this type of experience? And no, and so on, you know. But apparently that is, and that's what I call the mental world. You know, the mental world and so on. Look, there, everybody, there, the whole concept of an aura. That you actually have an aura around you, and that people can feel that aura, you know. They get, and, and the aura changes color. They take, yeah, yeah, there's a, you know, uh, so it's called curling photography, if I remember correctly. You so know, no, see that it's not. It's 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 part of the mental world. It's experienceable. That's the whole point. It's not Ruchni. But they take a picture before a guy put on tefillin and after he put on tefillin. And after what, he put on tefillin, he has the aura, and beforehand he didn't have it. So what that was... Attributed to the mitzvah. Oh, so what that probably would mean is that the aura, which is physical, can change. Just like the imagination. You know, it still has to reflect in an aura. Just like, just like the perception of God or Malach has to come through the imagination. It still has to be clothed in something physical. It can't be pure spiritual. And an aura clearly is part of the mental apparatus of a person. So it came from within, you're saying? No, it came, well, yeah, it came, what, what, uh, his mitzvah somehow tapped into ruchni, that, that, right? And that ruchni released a, a, what's called a shefa, an influence that goes down, right? And, and, and tapped into his aura. And that aura he's experiencing, not the, not the influence, the divine kidusha that makes the aura change. You see what I'm saying? Or that happens automatic, but it takes time. It's like a person comes on the film. He doesn't experience what he has from the roughness. It should take, no, it should be immediate. No, it should they be immediate. That they made, yeah. They experimented with this. Yeah, it should be immediate, yeah. <coughs> well, you see one thing. Is there's far more to the human being than what medical doctors think or any of these people. You know, and they're not in contact with that mental world or the mental aspect of the human body, which it the human body clearly has a whole mental aspect that it can even leave the body. You know, and so on. Um, so I think by the shot and travel and see a license plate. What was that? And travel and see. A yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Mental body could see, could travel. Yeah, because it's not limited by space, obviously. Yeah, so it's a great way to beat. It's a great way, a great way to beat the high prices of airplane tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The word intuition. What? Intuition. Does that cover, you know, like they say, <clears throat> women have more intuition. That that's different. That that's a that's a different <clears throat> phenomenon. You know, that's a different. That's called the idea. It's an insight. That that's because apparently the mind. We we normally think that the person has five senses, right? Five senses, right? Right? We have five senses? Okay. But the truth is, so therefore, how do we access information about the world or about anything outside of us through those five senses, right? There's, you know, seeing, hearing, touch, uh, smelling, and, and taste, and so on. Uh, th how do we access reality? Only through those senses, right? But apparently, there's what's called extrasensory perception, ESP. You know, and that, uh, and there are different kinds of that where a person can access information outside of the five senses. Somehow, and I, I believe that the, the mind, it's really from the mental body. That the mental body, which is aligned with our body, right, 
if it's if you can leave the body and still be conscious and look, you know what I'm saying? There's something else going on in that body, you know? So therefore, it, it could be you, you, your brain is seeing something, you know, if from the mental level, right, that you're not experiencing. So there is the, because you have a mental body, you could be experiencing information outside of the physical five senses. It's not arriving through the five senses. It's arriving because you exist on a mental plane, you see. And that would be extrasensory perception. <coughs> but, you know, a lot of people that say they have it, but they don't, you know. But there are certain people that <coughs> apparently they, they do have this ability. They, they can access information not through the five senses. So the question is how? So I believe, like this, like I just said, the mechanism of that is they can access information because they have a mental body. And therefore, a mental body is not tied down to the physical five senses, and therefore they can access information outside. But that's not Ruch HaKadosh. Don't make that mistake. Uh, that's because... And, and that's because since we have this mental body that coincides with the physical, but actually can uh, disengage from the physical at different times, it can access information beyond what the physical can. It has its own machinery. You know, I believe that's how it works and so on, you know. That's independent <clears throat> of imagination? Or that's, uh, that's in the, well, it, it appears to the, your brain, yeah. you know. No, it has nothing to do with imagination. You know, that's, that's in the war, you know. All of a sudden, you just know something, you know. Look, you know how many times you hear people say, all of a sudden, the guy says, uh-oh, I feel something happened terrible to, you know. And, 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 and right, Mamish, that time and that place, kachoya. How, how they do it? Because the mental body can receive information independent of time and space, you see. Obviously, because there's a very strong emotional connection. You know, but there's all all kinds of ways of doing that. Wives, they live together so long. They know what each one's thinking. No, uh, well, <laughs> that's only because they 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 they're so used to, to their behavior they can predict it. That that's not ESP, <clears throat> but uh, there are there are there's a phenomenon called ESP. A lot of fraud out there. Let me tell you now. You know, in terms of what is ESP, but apparently there are people that have astounding sense of, uh, for those who are not frauds, that is, you know, uh, a tremendous sense of of uh, extrasensory. But I believe it's because coinciding with the physical body, there's a mental body, and the proof of that is you can leave it. That's what astral projections are, and all these other NDEs and so on. You know, but the key to remember, it's mental. It's not spiritual. And the guy's still alive. And then the, these guys say they see a tunnel and a light and all that. And they know they go through that tunnel, it's over. Well, that, that's, that, that's the death. And then, they, it, that, that, then it becomes ruchni, spiritual, and so on. Um, but because of that, which is interesting, I believe, a lot of these guys say, well, they see Yeshu coming to meet them. You know, they have a lot of this kind of stuff, you know. You know, he, he ain't come to meet anybody. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> yeah, I, I once said, uh, well... He's not come to me. He's dead. Anyway. But the main idea is that why? Because since they're still alive, then their imagination takes over and provides them with what they think should meet them. You see? But if they ever died and became, then became Rukhni, then of course, then it's Rukhni. You see? So as long as the body is alive, they, what, what they imagine 
could happen, and whatever their belief system is, they will see that. You see, that, that's my take on this in whole NDE experience. The machines keep the body alive. Yeah, okay. But it, the machine says you're brain dead. Yeah, but, but you know, look, what does it mean to be brain dead? How many times they said somebody was brain dead and then the guy woke up a couple of days later? You know, you know, the brain is the most mysterious organ in the body. The human brain is the most complicated structure in the entire known universe. There's nothing that even matches it. You know, it has 100 billion neurons. It has a quadrillion uh, synapses that can connect to the other. Nobody even knows what it is. It, it, it's a work which is so beyond uh, possibility of evolution. It, it, it just boggles the mind. And nobody knows really what it can do. You know, and in that sense, you know, it is so complex. I mean, nobody knows what thinking is. What does it mean to think? Does anybody know what imagination is? Does anybody understand what creativity is? Nobody even knows how you store memory. How can a neuron store an idea, a fact? You know, how does any of this work? It's beyond comprehension. How a brain could work altogether, yet it works. So believe me, it's far more than, you know, uh, what, what most people imagine and so on, you know. But anyway. Maybe by the Shabbos Yeah, by Shabbos yeah. The person can feel that Neshama Yisera coming. So that's the aura feeling. That's your emotional capacity to experience your, your, your revived connection to Olam uh, Yitzira. Yeah. But it's still your only experience in the physical. You see? It has to go through some physical, uh, what do you call it, portal. It cannot be purely spiritual. Yeah. So, you know, it could be through feelings. It could be through visions. You could hear something. But you can never see the actual spiritual being and experience the actual spirit being. It has to go through the guise of some, something physical. You see? Uh, and so on. But anyway, I hope I've given you a real broad understanding of the physical world. How broad it is. That's not Pashat. You know, you begin to see all the, and all these experiences can be explained. But remember, spirituality is different. It is a domain which is unknown in the sense that you can never experience it while you're alive. You know, and, um, uh, uh, and therefore, no experience, uh, the, and there the, the are ways of interacting with the spiritual universe, but not directly. It has to be indirectly like prophecy. Or the old Ruach HaKodesh, not the Ruach HaKodesh today. That's a whole different uh, way uh, of accessing information. But uh, so the physical universe is very multifaceted, very complex, you see. And all that is under what's called the Olam HaGeshem. That's what Ramchal is saying. And then the Ramchal is now going to talk about the spiritual universes. And then we can see how they all fit and how they all come together. So it's really a, uh, it's a beautiful... Uh, sh uh, um, topic really to understand and see. Look, even this topic is fascinating. I've explained stuff that you know most people have no clue of any of this stuff, you know. But you can see once you, you have a certain structure, then you begin to see how uh, everything seems to fit. You know, whether it be yoga, you know, or astral projections or NDEs, doesn't make a difference. So, you know, okay. Just remember there's a mental body. And that is what people confuse with the spiritual. Great, any questions? Do you remember during the 
Vietnam War, this Buddhist monk who was famous is on the news constantly. Yeah, what? They set him up on the, you know, with the wood, and one of his disciples poured gasoline over him in this. He sat there, they lit the match, and he sat there. Do you remember this? No. And what happened to the guy? calm through the whole thing, and he's burning up. And he was protesting the war. Did he die? Yeah, he was. They I mean, he died. Set him on fire. And but he was completely calm. Yeah, that the whole thing, and it was played on the news constantly. You can get on YouTube. It's amazing. Um, what that, that simply means? That. Well, look. Uh, that simply means that he had incredible control over his pain. That's all it means. Some people have that. There's some people that can withstand pain to an unbelievable degree, even though they're, even though they're dying. That's all. You know, um, that's all. Nothing spiritual about that. Well, well, yeah, I mean, look, obviously he felt, but he was able to control himself and not scream. I mean, you know, I'm sure he felt, but guy's burning to death. You know? Okay, but that, that, that doesn't mean that. I mean, it's, in, it's impressive. But that's about it, you know. Elion Novi is a physical being or a spiritual being? No, spiritual. But he, when he comes to visit you, for those people who he visits, <laughs> you know, uh, is, um, is, a, is a, again, he will, he will assume the garb of a, of a person. He never, he, was not, he never died. So no, how, he never died. So what happened to his physicality? Just what happened to his body? What happened to that, that state, the physical state that he always had? Transformed? I mean, did he have, apparently had, uh, yep, uh, oh, Zikuch, yeah. There's only three people that never died. They had Zikuch, which is uh, astounding. Zikuch. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah he's uh, one of the people, Elio never died. Who else? Serch Basosha. And then, what's his name? Chanoich. Also never died. The Bansham took him and that was it, you know? So what happened is he had Zikuch. They were able to transform their body, uh, you know, because you can't go into the Oilam MS without Zikuch. Look, who, who went up? Moshe Rabbeinu. Remember that? I went, he went up for 40 days. I didn't drink and eat for 40 days, right? So how do you do that? And then when he came down, you couldn't look at him because he had, had the Zikuch. When your body goes through that zikuch, when it goes through the purifying, when all of a sudden you begin to remove the physicality of your body, then what shines through? The neshama. You can't look at a neshama. So what does it mean? What happened? Meshavah went up? Where did he go? He went probably to Olimitzira. Yeah. He went to Olimitzira, you know. But not his consciousness. He went up. That's the difference. He He actually went up, yeah. I'd love to know who his travel agent was. <laughs> Maybe I really should know who his travel agent is. God's voice, you know, first two No, he really went up, and he, he apparently, you know. But in order for him to go up, he was the only one, I mean, who went up and came back again. You know, everybody else died. But he went up, came back. But in order to do that, he had to have an incredible zikuch of his body. Uh, he couldn't go as a physical. He went, he went up. It was called, he went up with a body of the 7,000th year, where he was physical. In other words, his zikuch wasn't complete. But what happened, his body became inert. That's why he didn't need any kind of physical necessity. His body became inert, 
and he therefore, but he had a body, it was inert, but it was still physical. So he did experience a certain level of purification in order to, you know, and then he had that, that whole dialogue with the Malachim and so on, you know. But he's apparently the only one that ever did that. Um, actually, Rabshu Ben Levi, he also did something like that, yeah, you know. So we have the Amori, anyway. an Amori was dug up in, in the Sechlis Shabbos. Two guys were digging in a field, and they hit somebody, and he said, hey, guys, take it easy, you know, like... Who, the dead body? Yeah, on, on Amoira. And he got up, and uh, he was he was talking to them. Okay. So, over there is... Was well, 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 and Zichuch, that, that he had a certain amount of neshama left in him? Um... Well, well, I mean, uh, is, oh, are we talking about Tchis and Mesim here? No, no. Or are we talking about, the, the, you know, they were... They were in the field and they, they came upon his body. They disturbed his burial place. So well, uh, what, what seems to have happened is that there was a measure of Tchis and Mesim. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that he was able to re-enter, so to speak, the Neshama, re-enter, and then he was able to, you know, uh, activate himself. Listen, you know, they, they say the story of the Ari. It's brought down the Shifre Ari. Where uh, when the, the when the, the Ari knew he was dying, so he said he there's exerting Shemayim that he's gonna die and whatever whatever the, the circumstances were, but he told them I want you to uh, you know take me put me on the table whatever but don't touch me, don't put me in the mikvah. You know don't don't touch don't put me in the mikvah you know so they you know, they, they did the, they did the tahara whatever you know. And then when the time came to put his body in the mikvah, because he was dead, you know, so they stood back and said, okay, we are following your instructions. We're not going to move you or put you in the mikvah. What happened? See, the Ari got up. He's dead. The Ari got up. He went into the mikvah by himself. And then he went on the table again. And that was it. How did he do that? See? Uh, obviously, there's a certain faculty, or there's a certain ability of that these people have or or he wasn't so completely dead that you know he wasn't inertly dead he you know whatever the ruchnius is but you remember know. Elizabeth Shimon they kept him in his aliyah for 22 years he used to make kiddush yeah, on Friday night yeah. Rebbe Rebbe right yeah yeah sure Rebbe used to make kiddush imagine what kind of kiddush that is what's that um either again either was a or if not then uh, Rebbe wasn't completely dead. I mean, in other words, there are different chalokam of the neshama that leave, and then you're left with what's called the havadigami, whatever, you know? So either he wasn't completely dead, so he was able to do that, or he, there was a tchis amesim, you know, that Rebbe was a Rebbe. So can't you explain an NDE that way, that only a chilek of the neshama comes out? And that's what travels around? Nah, these guys are not. The Rebbe was a ish kodesh. He's an incredible person. I mean, Rebbe, Rebbe could do that. These guys are just, you know, they're, they're still alive. These guys never died. Or else how could they come back and tell us, right? No, because maybe a chilek of the neshama stays there and the chilek comes out. No, I don't believe that. I believe just mentally they were able to get out and then they could function, you know. But no, not, not, it's not real death and so on, you know. Uh, even by Rebbe you have to ask yourself, you know, what was it? Uh, you know, maybe he was, uh, he wasn't, he, he, he Although they buried him, obviously. I think they buried him over there. Rebbe? Someone was in the Aliyah for 22 years until the neighbors found out. Yeah, the neighbors found out. No, it wasn't the maid. 
uh, something like that. The maid disclosed the fact that somebody. She's with well, uh, 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 a husband like you. you know. <laughs> oh yeah, whatever. Uh, okay, but you know. So again, you know. But apparently, it seemed that Rebbe was dead. But but uh, but his neshama was able to come back apparently and interact with the world and say kiddush, you know. And uh, but uh, but if his body w- but his body was buried, just that somehow he made kiddush. It was in the attic, whatever. He made kiddush. That means his neshama can make issue a sound wave that's kiddush and so on, you know. Didn't However, it works anyway. Die and then come back and heard it again, the second commandment. Yeah, that and was, that he died again. Uh, no, 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 that was a real death. That was a real death. That was a real chisamism. That was a real. Everybody died. Yeah, because you, you cannot tolerate that type of uh, exposure to God and live. So, the, like Ben Azai, they all died. They were just overpowering. The Nishama couldn't stay in the body with that kind of exposure. To the uh, God, the Rambam Shalom. But anyway, but the uh, no. So he resur- he resurrected them. Tal chil However, it works. That was a real chil People in this room, were our souls there? Yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody was there. No, not everybody was born. Everybody was there. Either you were there in a physical body, or you were neshamas all listening to this. You know, everybody was there. That's why if you see somebody and you, re- you see, you know, you look very familiar. And then you can't place where. You say, oh, we're probably sitting together by Matantura. 